Casey Gallup. Welcome to Crozier Cast. As always, I'm Communications Director Suzanne Hammonds, and with me is your host, Bishop James Wall. Bishop Wall, how are you today? I'm doing well, Suzanne. How are you doing? Excellent. Uh, and uh, I also thought it'd be important to mention that this is our 40th episode. So that's a pretty big milestone. Um, it is. This is, as we figured out, this is the Ruby, the Ruby episode. So if anybody is... Uh, listening and you want to celebrate with us you can always send us a ruby yeah that would be awesome it'll go to go to good use (laughs) in our diocese so today we are going to hit on part two of humanae vitae uh just because there's so much involved with this so last week we kind of talked about some of the negative fallout of um you know pope uh, pope paul's predictions um not that he was not, not that he was negative but what he predicted the negative fallout would be and so today we wanted to sort of be a little bit more positive and talk about the good things of humanity vitae so um so why don't we start what are could you lead us through a little bit um what are some of the positives sure in a sense what you do there's a few things you can do but you can take a look at the the uh, negatives the four predictions and so what i'll do is i'll just run through those uh, briefly so one was increase in marital infidelity. Two was a general lowering of moral standards. Three was a loss of respect for women. And four was governments would coerce people into using contraception and intervene in citizens' sexual relations. So if you take a look at those are the negatives. That's what Pope Paul VI said. If we go down that rabbit hole, this is what will happen. And we've seen this over and over and over again uh, in our world, culture, society, in individual families, and um, you know, ultimately the negative is it really um, it tears down it tears down it, it tears down life, and it tear down tears down the basic building block of a strong and a healthy society, which is the family. So we're gonna look at the very first one: an increase in marital infidelity. So one of the things about uh, contraceptive, uh, the contraceptive mentality, or using contraception, artificial contraception is somehow, some way, uh, the spouse is holding something back from the other. So the, hu- the husband or the wife is holding something back for the other. They're saying, I love you, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 100% in. And so when they, they plead, when they pledge their love for one another the day of their wedding, they, good times, bad sickness and health, rich or poor, all those different things, what they're saying is, I completely give myself entirely to you in every manner as a as an act of love that's that's what it is so it's every not in a slavish way but as an act of love i give myself self donation uh, to the other and so with contraception what happens is um, the the commitment and uh, perhaps the uh, the giving of oneself to the other uh, the accountability you know it's it's not necessarily there um, a uh, perhaps so for for you know a spouse could be unfaithful and be involved in an extramarital relationship, and sometimes there could be proof in the pudding. In other words, somebody could end up getting pregnant, and so um, one of the things about that is is that that increase in marital fidelity. There's real no accountability. So use of a condom, use of the pill. Uh, whatever the case might be, um, that's one of the, the things that will happen. But um, if they are faithful to God's plan, again, procreative and unitive, those aspects are always present, the uh, husband and wife freely giving of themselves to one another, then they are simply giving of themselves to one another. 
And so what that does is that, that uh, strengthens the fidelity. And I think that's the, the key for all of that. It strengthens the fidelity. Kind of connected to that, number two, when he talked about the negative, the, the things that would happen, was a general lowering of moral standards. Now, remember, this came out in 1968 during the so-called sexual revolution. Uh, the, the mottos of, you know, if it feels good, do it, right? As long as you're not harming someone else, which is just a, just a lie in itself. But, um, you know, this was an overall lowering of moral standards. And the answer, many people thought, well, if we uh, allow for the use of contraception, the pill was going to be the miracle drug, that one of the things that would happen is we would see a, de a decrease in abortions, but the exact opposite has happened. We've seen an increase in abortions, and then the number is, is tragic, and it's just staggering. And the reason for that is, is that no longer is a husband and a wife uh, simply committed to one another. No longer is a sexual act just simply between a husband and a wife. But if it feels good, do it, and it's for everyone, then um, then just have sex and have sex whenever, whenever you want to. And we hear, hear things like, you know, friends with benefits, some of these horrible things. Or we hear things about like one night stands, all these different things. And so these are the negatives, but the positive is husband and a wife completely committed to one another, um, strong, high moral standards, not giving in to kind of the, the sign of the times, things like that. And so um, um, that's another one of the, the reasons that um, uh, humanity is so beautiful, because it really does set a high bar. And the bar that is set ultimately is set by God. And uh, Blessed Paul VI was essentially writing out this was what, what God's plan was. So we hear this, this kind of generally, general lowering of moral standards. And the opposite of that, the good thing about that was be not a raising, but a keeping the moral standards which we've come to know through, uh, through our God. Reveals to us in tradition and through scripture as well. And then the third was that loss of respect for women. Man would reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires. And again, this is the whole notion of objectifying uh, someone. We, we do it a lot in our, in our society, in our world. We objectify someone, which means that we use them for our own selfish purposes. Uh, the example I always like to give is an example of a chair. You know, we can look at a chair. It's an object. What's it to be used for? It's to, use, to, be, to, to be sat upon, um, and it is simply to be used uh, for the individual who is using it. And the negative is, with uh, this, as Paul VI was talking about, was we can objectify another person. I'm simply going to use that other person for my own selfish sexual desires, for my own selfish pleasure. So the, po the positive, if we flip that around, is not a loss of respect for women, which we've seen uh, throughout our society, but rather it is an increase in respect for women as well as an increased respect for man. You know, seeing the other, who the other is, my equal, and we have that in the marriage right too, especially in the, there's a beautiful prayer in the, the nuptial blessing at the, at the wedding mass. So seeing uh, the other as my equal, and seeing the other as I am created in the image and likeness of God. Because I'm created in the image and likeness of God, then what I need to do is, 
I need to be faithful to his plans, and he set it out before me. Now, the question is, if we're people of faith, then we got to believe that the word is precisely what the word is. It's the divinely inspired word of God, and all of it is true. And so if God says, let them come together, let them be fruitful and multiply, then we have to be faithful to that. And so, you know, looking at the other for precisely who the other is, created in the image and likeness of God, just as I'm creating the image and likeness of God, and so to not reduce the other to an object, but as we're created, and that is as a subject. So that's number three, negative. We flip it to the, to the positive, and that's to see the other as a subject. And then four, the, the other negative, uh, governments would coerce people into using contraception and intervene in citizen sexual relationships. We've seen that over and over and over again, and that's, that's the negative. But, you know, if we, if we look at, um, you know, look at God's plan for, for marriage and the gift and the transmission of human life, then we see that, you know, everyone um, should have the ability, uh, if they're entering into the marital union, to be, um, to be procreative, right? It's responsibly, but be, to be procreative. And governments shouldn't step in and, and decide, you know, you can do this or you can do that. We've seen, you know, we have a history, just even in the last 100 years, of governments stepping in and trying to control people's lives. China. You know, yeah. yeah, look at China recently with their one-child uh, policy. We look at uh, governments such as the Nazi regime. We look at the, uh, this is the former Soviet Union. Yeah. We look at some of these horrible, horrible things where people are stepping into people's lives and trying to control their lives. But China's a great example. You can only have one child. Well, if we do our math, eventually that's going to flip things upside down. And I think they're starting to realize that because, you know, in certain society it's more honorable or beneficial to have a son. And so if a, ch uh, if a, a couple finds out that they're pregnant, then um, and they're going to have a girl, and the opportunity to abort, God forbid, you know, they're going to abort their, their daughter and perhaps try again. Well, if they don't get a boy that time, they're going to do it again and again and again until they get a boy. Well, the problem is, what do you end up with in that society and culture? You end up with a bunch of men and no women. And, and you know, a good, healthy, happy society is pretty much 50-50. But uh, when you have governments that step in and, and um, impose things like that on them, that's the, uh, that's the negative. So again, the positive is respecting the gift that everybody has been given, and that is, uh, you know, being able to procreate in a good and a happy and a healthy and a holy way in a responsible way. And uh, so Humana Vitae, if we really take it to heart, Humana Vitae helps us to understand how to do that and do that well. Yeah, and a couple of things I wanted to hit on too that I thought was really interesting. Um, so when I was looking up some links for last for last week's episode. Um, you had mentioned the the history of the pill, and so I was looking that up. And even like I knew it was it was skewed towards um, as in, in a bad way towards women, but it's just the depth of it is crazy. Like not only was there sterilization oftentimes without people's uh, knowledge, um, women's knowledge, but the the horrible medical side effects that they had, and they lied to them. They'd say, "Oh no, there's no effects. It'd be fine." And yeah. all these women had all these health problems for decades and decades, and then. The idea that a place like China, the vast majority of abortions occur on girls, you know, it's it's sad that the more um, 
rabid or extreme parts of you know the the late twentieth century with the feminist movement and everything. They they feel like abortion has to be a part of um, being pro woman, but in many cases it's extremely anti woman. You know? Yeah, it is. It is extremely anti woman because, um, like you said, you know, the, the you raise a standard with people, or maybe they want they want a son for particular reasons, pass the name on, um, whatever the case might be. And but it is extremely anti woman. And the sad thing is, is it's really, it's kind of been a. Uh, uh, it's been a bill of goods that I think has been uh, perpetuated by men and sold to women. That's what it is. It's, and that's when Paul VI says a lot of loss of respect for women. Mad would reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires. And I know there, there, there are women in the so-called feminist movement that would just be completely disagree with me. But uh, I completely disagree with, with what they think. And um, and and it, it's they they bought it hook line and sinker yeah. absolutely hook line and sinker, and uh, some of the the narrative that gets played into that is the, the the notion of power that seems to be everything power and using my body as power and uh, almost as a tool or a weapon, and that's that's not healthy at all. It says nothing about love, right? True love. Right? Yeah, and it's interesting that he especially singles out. Uh, men losing respect for women. Not that men can't be objectified or that they haven't been objectified, but sure. even a place like Hollywood, which is very much in the news, we see some of the most powerful and well-known women in the world who have, you know, you would think um, couldn't, could be untouchable because they have so much money, so much influence, are still victimized over and over and over. You know, it's, it often turns into women being victimized, yeah. um, no matter how powerful or how, you know, they are, which is interesting. It know? is, yeah. and, and uh, uh, victimized, object, uh, objectified, you know, all these different things, but it, it, it does, it's just over and over and over, and, and um, you know, it's so obvious, I mean, here and I, you and I, we're not the only people that can see this, but here you and I are sitting here talking about this, thinking we're having a fairly rational conversation. But you almost feel sometimes as if you're, you know, it's the emperor has no, has no clothes. You're just kind of looking and stating the obvious. Yeah. But where it's it's kind of being perpetuated in our society, in our culture, in our world, and one of the main reasons behind it too is the almighty dollar. Yeah. It's and uh, because people are making money off of this, making money off of, uh, of contraceptives, abortifacients, um, sterilizations. Uh, um, uh, you know things that are all associated with that and then you know movies or TV shows or music or anything in the media that kind of perpetuates that that puts that out there and somebody ultimately is making money off of it and I don't see that in the very beginning of the scripture I don't see where God says to come together be fruitful and then make a lot of money off of it too I don't see that at all Yeah. so well I guess another positive though would be um, that Pope Paul VI is now officially going to be canonized this year, which will, um, again, hopefully bring Humana Vitae uh, sort of a renewed focus and emphasis on that. But can you tell us um, why was it, you know, why do you think it's important that he is being finally recognized as a saint? <clears throat> well, I, I think it's very important for us because, you know, first of all, there was a miracle that was attributed to it as intercession, and it was a child in the womb. Parents were told to abort the child. Um, yeah, because it was the risk of losing the child and the mother. They prayed to um, Paul VI. I think they were blessed with a relic of Paul VI. And um, through his intercession, the child was healed. 
and the mother didn't die, the child was born healthy, and everybody's healthy today. And so the doctor said it was a complete miracle. And so they, they attributed it to his intercession. So here you have a man who lived very, during a, just a very difficult time in, our, in, in recent history, right? In our modern times, especially when it came to the, 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 the understanding, proper understanding of sexuality and the gift of the use of sexuality. And, um, and also in relationship to, you know, increase in abortions and all these, these horrible things that were happening during this time. And he puts this encyclical out that really speaks the truth about the gift and transmission of human life and the gift of love. And then here we have this child in the womb, and you have doctors saying abort, 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 abort. And what they do is the parents don't. They trust in God's divine providence. They ask for the intercession of Paul VI. And through his intercession, the, the child is healed. And so I think right now, this being the 50th anniversary, I think what this is a way of God saying, look, pay attention to this. This was written 50 years ago, and unfortunately it was controversial. And it was controversial by people outside the church, people inside the church, people uh, dissented from it, from inside the church. You know. It's probably still controversial. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is absolutely ridiculous. But um, and so you had people, all these people dissenting from it, even to this day. And, um, and so I think it's God's way of saying, hey, let's go back to it. Let's take a look at this, because this is a divinely inspired document. I mean, really, the, the Holy Father was, was really under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit when he, when he gave this, this document to the world. And it's a gift, a real, a real gift. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're, we're seeing it right now. I think it's important for us to take a look at it. And as John Paul II would say over and over, he would say for us to um, be done with abortion for to, to, uh, uh, in our society or culture, what we have to do is we have to um, undo the contraceptive mentality. And that's a so much, it is so much a part of our society where life at its very conception is seen as, as our Holy Father talks about that throwaway culture that we're in, at the very moment of its conception, it's not valued, then why are we going to value life six months later, or nine months when they're born, or five years old when they go off to school, or 18 years old when they're in, in high school, or um, 75 or 80 years old when they're, when they're, they're elderly? Um, we have to value life at its very conception for us to always value life throughout the entire one, the entirety of one's life, conception until natural death. Yeah, well, and something you mentioned last time too, which I think is is probably relevant with the news, is we have this rise of, we often see sort of isolated young men who, you know, when they, when they do something like uh, commit a shooting, everyone, you know, it, it comes out oftentimes that they were bullied or ostracized or kind of alone. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea that, um, you know, not that that excuses their actions or anything, or maybe there is some mental health, but oftentimes there's, we, we tend to ignore people who are kind of off to the side and not make an effort to reach out, you know. And I think it goes along with that whole mentality of, you know, ostracizing people or not, not sure, necessarily sure. keeping an eye on Not seeing them who they are, right? Yeah. They are, this person is creating the image and likeness of God just as I am. And so they deserve love, they deserve attention, they deserve kindness just as you and I do. And um, they're a child of God, just as you and I are. And so to, to be more loving, kind uh, toward others, 
um, to make the world a more loving, a more kind place, you know, one of the ways that we can do that is by seeing the other for precisely who the other is. My brother and sister in Christ, my, uh, the person who's created in the image and likeness of God, the person who is a child of God. So when we lose all those things, then, you know, our values, our morals, everything drops. And, um, and then, you know, we can do whatever we want to do. Yeah. But that's, that's not the truth, right? That's not the truth. Well, I think another net positive, too, is that it shows us that no matter, even in times of turmoil, there, the, you know, God will always have a strong leader or someone. He'll have the, leader, the right leader for the right time. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we'll we'll panic. I mean, think about what Catholics were thinking in the '60s, and then here they had this, you know, phenomenal pope. And so that's going to happen. You know, it's it's a it's a good way to 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 not lose hope for the church. You know. Yeah, and he was pretty quiet about it, the way he we, how he went about things. You know, you have him somewhat sandwiched between two, two very charismatic figures. I mean, you got a Paul or John Paul I was only in for thirty days, but you have John Paul II, and then you have uh, John. Uh, the 23rd, both yeah. who were canonized saints. And here you kind of have this quiet, unassuming man right in the middle. But boy, was he ever, was he ever powerful in the, the gifts that he gave the church. And I think precisely in this document that he gave to the church. So like you said, the Lord gives to the church precisely who the church needs at, at different times. So you had this man who was very courageous, took a lot of, a lot of heat for what he wrote. Um, especially during the, the so-called sexual revolution. But he was a man of a, a courageous heart. He didn't back down, and he, and he gave, the, gave the world his truth, which was just a reiteration of what we've come to know through the scriptures. And uh, as we kind of move into the, the final bit here, um, you, this is Humanae Vitae is, I think, something I've heard you talk a lot about on various programs and in, in homilies. So um, personally, why is this something that you love to come back to again and again? Well, when I read it the first time, it, you know, for lack of a better phrase, it kind of knocked my socks off. I just thought it was amazing. And, and then the other is that having been a, an associate pastor and a pastor and now a bishop and, and working um, somewhat uh, with uh, marriage preparation, and even here in our own diocese, we're, we're about to, to roll out a new, um, a new marriage uh, policy, marriage preparation policy, um, I find that um, the understanding, the truths that are found within Humanae Vitae, uh, they go hand in hand with JP2's uh, theology of the body. But the truths that are found in there, I think it is, it's an essential that couples come to a deep understanding of the truths that are found in Humanae Vitae. So the one thing I would point at um, would be natural family planning. For couples to understand natural family planning, to know it well, and to practice it. And the reason for that is, you know, um, we have just the abortion, or not abortion, divorce, is just rampant through our, through our society. You know, when a husband and a wife get together on the day of their wedding day and they say, I'll love you and honor you all the days of my life, they really mean that. At least we hope they mean that. But unfortunately, we're seeing, you know, close to 50% of marriages end in divorce. But we know that couples who are faithful in natural planning, these are the principles that are found in Humanae Vitae. We look at anywhere from a 96 to 98% success rate, meaning uh, they stay together till death do they part. So they're able to be faithful to the words that they make to one another and that they make before God. And um, I've seen 
couples going in, kind of kicking and screaming, uh, with uh, having to go to natural family planning classes. But then I've seen them just, uh, um, like I've said before, that the scales fall from their eyes. And I've asked them at the end, what was the most important part of your marriage prep? And they'll go back to NFP. It's not one class, it's a series of classes. They kind of journey through it with general, usually with a couple who is practicing NFP, who's been married for a number of years. They can talk about the joys, the successes, they can talk about the difficulties, all those different things. And uh, I just think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. I think that every couple should be practicing natural family planning to be responsible uh, to the gift that they receive. And that's the gift of human sexuality, always being open to the gift of human life. Yeah. And don't be like Britney Spears and have a 55-hour marriage and shave your head. <laughs> you know, <it's> <laughs> Shaving your head is not a bad thing to do. But well, yeah. if you're Britney Spears in that time, it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. It kind of felt bad. All right. Well, that's uh, that'll do it for another episode. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions, there's a link right in, um, in the show notes. You can get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, thanks again, Bishop Paul, for another episode. You're welcome. Thanks. God bless to everyone. And uh, have a blessed Holy Week. And... Uh, a fruitful um, Easter week as well.